On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, Annette Hom from CHCH is in studio to talk about things, well, I don't know if they've ever been talked about on CHML before or on a podcast before. Words that until a few years ago, you would never have heard spoken publicly, but today and this week, frankly, throughout the city of Hamilton, we do it. Not just that either, a lot of other stuff, but stay tuned. You'll find out what we're talking about. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. In studio with Annette Hom from CHCH's Morning Live. You see her every morning, bright and early, way too early. for Sometimes dark and early. Sometimes dark and early, but way too early for average people. But when you get up, you turn on your TV, you're checking the weather, you see Annette. That's who's in here. Last time you were here by the way, and I, I wish I could offer you the same thing. You were yeah, here for November. Yeah, I wish you could too. I said yes, thinking that there would be food. Yeah, last time you were here, it was just a grotesque buffet of burgers. Not grotesque in the tasted bad. It was delicious, but an enormous amount of food tasting November. It was November a cornucopia burgers. of burgers. It was, it was. Yes. Uh, let us move from burgers to something. Now, this is, uh, there's no good segue to this one. And I'm pretty sure, I was thinking about this today. I'm pretty sure that in the years that I've done radio, which is coming up on five or maybe has passed five now. This is a topic we've never talked about before, mostly because it, there's never really been a reason to. And because for most of our time as a civilization, it has been something you don't talk about in public, polite conversation. But there has been an awful lot of talk this week in the city of Hamilton about menstruation and about whether women should be provided for, whether the city should be buying and giving out women's items for people who can't afford it or I'm, whatever I'm loving else. watching you struggle well, here. <laughs> it's one of those ones, it's one of those topics that I'm fine to talk about, but you do want to choose your words a little carefully yes. because you don't, the, the point why I'm looking like I'm looking right now, you people can't see me, you can, is I don't want to make this sound like it's a mockery thing. I'm, it's, it's not a mockery conversation. No, it's a bodily function. It is a bodily function. So what do you what do you take of the discussion? What do you make of the discussion that was had this week? And again, the idea around city council was that maybe the city should be buying these and providing, what do you want to call it? A hygiene, women's uh, hygiene tampons products and pads and, yeah. for women who can't afford it. What do you make of that? Well, I, I think it should be provided. I look at it as we provide toilet paper, right? Yes. In in any public washroom, we provide soap. Not all good soap. toilet paper. Uh, soap and, like and, and towels and everything like that. Why not provide pads or tampons? Because they are just, it, it's something that you need. And it's, it's uh, imagine that you really have to go to the washroom, Scott, but you don't have a dollar for a supply of toilet paper. What do you do? What bathrooms? No, but and that's the situation I so many is, women are yeah. in. Like, even if you have the money, maybe you don't have the coin on you yep, yep. And, and you're stuck. And it, it's not like periods are always regular and you know exactly when you're going to be caught, you know, caught without protection yep. for it. Um, and I've heard from so many women this week, not talking directly to me, but in conversations around people saying. I'm glad we're talking about it. That I, I have had moments where I've been caught without. I'm sure every single woman listening has. And it's interesting. I don't know as I, let me, I'm not going off topic, but I don't know that I would be having this conversation if a guy was in your seat today and and, and we might've, but I I think it has to be a woman who's sitting there to be part of this conversation. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot with this. No, no, not at all. Because it's, it's, it's a bodily function. It happens and we shouldn't be embarrassed by it. So. I don't disagree with the concept that we want to do something to help people who can't. And I, I, one of the things this week that I started exploring, because my first thought, and tells tells you how out of the loop I am on this, my first thought was, well, wait a second. Why are, first thing we should be doing is not having taxes on this. And, and there, I understand I there, there aren't. haven't been. There are some. Taxes were heavily reduced. I think there are still some taxes. Right, because when the GST, I think, first came in, were they... It's only within the past couple or few years no. that the taxes have been dumped on this. So, that okay, so there's a, there's a start for sure that these things, because they're essential, you are not taxed on them. But my, and so, my, and the next point is, okay, so we should be helping people with this. My initial reaction, though, to this thing, there were a couple... The first was, why are we going to the taxpayers for this? That was my first response. And it's not that it's not a, a, a good issue to be talking about. 
but we seem to always, that's the first response. Let's go to the taxpayers. Let's, let's hit the, ta- it seems to me that if you were to go to companies and say, you know what, would you be willing to make a donation of X number towards helping people who are in need? I bet you many of these companies would do something like that. Or, or why don't companies just supply pads or tampons like they do toilet paper? Could be. Right. Or even companies that aren't Tampax or some proper name company. What about some companies in town that would say, we will make a donation of X dollars to go towards this kind of thing? That was the first... And, and as a guy, maybe it's not where women would have looked first, but my first thought is why are we always going to the taxpayer for more and more and more before we try to get creative? Wait, now, this is because of the debate out of city council, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. So again, interesting debate. I have no problem with the debate. It's a debate we should be having. It's mm-hmm. a discussion we should be having. And we're going to hit on a bunch of these different areas with this, but I, I just don't know why we always have to immediately as a default position say tax dollars. When I think we can be more creative these days, and I bet you because of the very things you just said, that half the population is women, women work at these companies, women are in the executive of Mm -hmm. these companies, I bet a lot of companies, whether they're involved in feminine hygiene products or not, would say, we'll donate towards that. I don't understand, though, with the, so going to the taxpayer, I I don't quite get that. Is it why that would be a problem? Because no, no, well, not not just that. Because what was what was the debate? Was that it was going to be provided in the municipal city, centers? That right? the city would pay. It would be two hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars to provide this around the city. Right. And so in, I'm in, saying in city owned yes, areas. Yes. Well, how much do they pay for toilet paper or or soap or paper towels? I just don't know why our first response with this was always to go to the taxpayers. When I think that probably because this is something that would resonate with a lot of women and businesses, we could find other ways to do this. And I think that that's honestly part of the reason why this became controversial. If you had had a company or companies that said, hey, we'll provide this, who is going to say no? But why why should they have to provide it? Why can't we don't have soap suppliers coming in to and, and this is for municipally owned, for city owned properties, yes, right? Yes. To supply this these products. You know, you don't have soap companies coming in, you don't have paper towel companies coming in saying, Oh, we'll 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 take care of that. You don't have toilet paper companies coming in. I, I think that every company should should supply it just as they as you stock your bathroom, you know, it's it the, can't be that expensive. No. And the, well, the question becomes though, and I think it's a legitimate question. Some people are going to say I'm making a ridiculous extension here. I don't think so. The question becomes, well, where then do you stop? Because it's the, the argument is this is, as you've said, it's a natural it's occurrence. A, it's a, it's, it's a bodily function. It's every woman's body. What about adult diapers for adults who are out somewhere who need those because they're incontinent? Should we be providing those? Uh, what about other things that go along with bodily functions or natural things? Should we be providing those? And that was the question is where then, this is not a bad idea, but where else do we then, does it, does this open the door to other people and other groups saying, well, why are you not providing for us then? And I don't know the answer to that no, question. That's an interesting point. I don't know the answer to that one either. I have been encouraged though by the number of organizations that have come up um, since this debate started um, this week. Was it this week? Yeah. It's so, been yeah. so long. Yeah, it has been a long <laughs> it week. It has been a long week. Um, like, for example, I, I work part-time with the YWCA. They're supplying stuff now, mm-hmm. right? And and is it 541 Eatery on uh, yes. on Barton Street? They they have them if... Now, it's kind of awkward because you have to go to the counter and, and ask for one, which shouldn't be embarrassing, but I, I don't know. I would I'm, I would kind of be embarrassed by going to ask I for one. I would think so. But I, I wonder if, if, if it's people are worried about, well, if we put them in the washrooms, if we put them there, people are just going to hoard them. But there are so many, there are a number of uh, like convention centers, banquet centers that if you go into the women's washroom, a lot of times there is stuff there and and people aren't hoarding it. It's, it's just like, oh, that's a nice thing because if you're coming in there and you really need one, you know, sure, like somebody has suggested, oh, you could just, you know, fold up toilet paper. That's not going to I'm sure it. there are ways to do it. I'm sure yeah. that, like, to me, the issue, if, if someone wants to go into a public bathroom and somehow milk the system and take home a month's worth of supply by hoarding it, yeah. it, it, and I, I mean, mean who knows? I, I don't Be- think it's going to happen. It could happen at the beginning. Maybe. Um, because, you know, these products are expensive. Mm. And it's an expense that every woman has every month. 
Yeah. I, to me, the part of it becomes what, where does that line get drawn then? Because if this is, and again, not, not dismissing the idea, just saying there are other people who have other bodily functions, mm-hmm. then do we look after them? Now, the other thing, we only have a well, couple of minutes. you didn't answer my question though, earlier when I asked you, if you went into a washroom stall and, and toilet paper was a dollar yes, and you didn't have that dollar, what would you do? Can I pull a Seinfeld? Can you spare a square? <laughs> Reach underneath? Well, I, and I mean, that happens in washrooms sure. too, right? Where, where you'll go up to a complete stranger and, you know, do you have a pad? Do you have a tampon? See, I, I, that's never happened. I don't want to make it sound like I've walked around back home, you know, all poopy. But I, I, I see, in that case, you could probably do something about it. I don't know what you, I, I'm not yeah. a woman. I have not yeah. had that experience. Now, we only have a little bit of time left in the segment. I do want to ask this though, because the follow-up to this is, in the wake of this discussion being had, there was a second discussion that seemed to be going on on social media, which was, you know, I should be able to talk about this. We should be able to have this conversation and discuss it freely and be talking about our periods and menstruation, all this kind of stuff. While it's, I think, a valid and fair conversation to have about this issue, do we want the the discussion about this to be part of everyday conversation. Why not? It happens well, every day. I know the reason I and asked that question. It, and I think you know, being embarrassed to talk about it, it's putting shame on women for something that we have really no control over. And I don't think it's uh, see. I'm not talking about it as a shame thing. The reason I asked the question is because we all have bodily functions, and I don't go up to someone at work and say, "Hey, you know what?" I I had a great poop this morning. Oh, you don't and, work in our newsroom. Well, no. <laughs> Tim Bowen does that almost every day. <laughs> All right. But I, that, that's the question. We, I think that there is a mature way to have this conversation. Yes. And I want, I think that's a proper thing to do. Yeah. I, I just don't know if I want to take the leap from saying we can discuss this as mature people to we want to make this part of our daily conversation. Well, I don't think we need to talk about it every day, but I don't think we should be ashamed of it and not talk about it. We are. Because it happens. And no, we are talking. We I'm are. glad we're talking. No, no. And, and, and as I said, I, I don't think, well, I don't know how many times I would, I don't know how you check this. There's no way to check it. I'd love to know how many times on CHOL, CHML, the word menstruation has ever actually been used. I bet it's not much. And I bet before, bef- before 2000, never. Yeah. On any radio station. Yeah. Because it's not been part of the polite conversation. And as I say, it's, I, I think you're still going to have a lot of people who say, I'm still not really comfortable. I think we need to have mature conversations. I just don't know that we want to make this part of everyday conversation, that it's so relaxed that we can talk about because people are still going to be not comfortable with that. Yeah. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm going to steal a topic that you guys did this morning. So you should be just that was so many hours ago. Right, I know it is. But thanks for watching it's 47 hours ago or something <laughs> like that. Last night was the series finale of Big Bang Theory, which, uh, do you watch Big Bang Theory? Well, you're never up. Well, I, it's on in reruns all the time, right? So I, I'll catch it occasionally. Are you a big, are you a fan or? Um, um, not really. See, I mean, I've, I've never watched an episode as far as I know. But there are lots of people who love this show. Yes, and very popular. And there was, a, I mentioned it last night here on the show, that there was a poll done somewhere that I saw that Canadians voted Big Bang Theory the best sitcom of all time. I think, I think maybe some Canadians have a short memory, but nonetheless, it's fresh and yeah. it's, you know, because at one time, Cheers was the best sitcom when it went off the air. And then Seinfeld was the best sitcom and Frasier and Friends and whatever one is leaving is always the best one. So anyway. Modern Family will be next year. Uh, is Modern Family in its last yeah. year? Well, it's not It's not this season. I think it's the next season coming up is going to be the last one. It, it's, it should have stopped three or four years ago. Yeah, it's so funny though. But yeah, the last, the last few it's, seasons have been kind of like... Eh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's like so many shows that stay a year or two past their prime. best before date. But I know you guys were talking about it this morning and I thought it was a great topic and that I didn't, so I didn't see Big Bang Theory finale, never watched it. So I don't know if it was good, bad, or otherwise the reviews seem to be pretty good. People seem to really like it. What for you, what is the best series finale of all time? Because this is when you're doing a show, this is the biggest thing. You've got to have a, a, a show that, I mean, Seinfeld 
according to most people, bombed the last episode. But well, for you, what was the best series finale? Best series finale, I remember watching like when I was a kid. So I always used to watch the Bob Newhart show with mm-hmm. my dad and love that show. So I remembered Suzanne Plachette. And then uh, Newhart had, I forget whether it was his second or third kind of retake series, right? The one where he was running the inn. Mm-hmm. Was that? In Vermont. Was that Newhart? I think it that was, was e- That was either Bob Newhart, Newhart, the Newhart or show, show, or I Love Lucy. <laughs> I don't know what it was like. But that. anyways, whichever yes. one it was that I, I think it was the Vermont one, where he woke up and it was funny because I remember watching it live and I remember the sheets from the original Bob Newhart show and I'm like those sheets because they were very distinctive. They had a beautiful check on them, right? And he wakes up with Suzanne Plachette and it was like all this this whole other series was all a dream. And I thought that is so smart. That's my favorite one. Which a lot of other play, a lot of other shows have tried to as a fallback. When you run out of ideas, just make it a dream. Dallas, yes. make it a dream, oh, and then that's right. and then we can forget everything that happened and bring everybody back. But yes, that was very clever. Uh, Did you like The Sopranos the way it ended? See, I never watched The Sopranos the first time it was on. When it was playing, I never saw it. Okay. I saw it years later, and I binge watched it because I got into it, and then really got into it, and. Like many people now, are we far enough from the end of The Sopranos to... Oh, I think every... Yeah, we can talk about it. Spoiler alert doesn't count anymore? (laughs) Okay, if you are watching The Sopranos now and you haven't seen the end, turn off the radio for the next one minute and then come back on. Uh, I thought my TV had broken or I thought I lost my stream because it just went dark and I went, why? Why did my TV break now? And then I realized... Oh, and I had that. I I was watching it live. We were watching it live, and it was like, "What? How could this happen?" And then you realize it, and and you know what? The next day, I really hated that ending. But now that you know, many years have passed. I'm like, no, that was a fantastic ending. Yeah, and it brought "Don't Stop Believing" to become a hit song again. Yeah, I'm not crazy about that, but but the, but that was a song that <laughs> yes. was long gone, yes. and now it's like it I, now it's everywhere again. Uh, yes, that was that so was journey. Loved the end of the Sopranos. I bet, I bet. Yeah, the Sopranos <laughs> made Journey a, a ton of money. I'm sure. Uh, what a Cheers was a great one. I don't really remember because I only um... Cheers was when Sam when the person came to the door and they everybody had left and was you just Sam saw left through in it the bar? and he was left in the bar and he goes sorry we're closed or something like that. It was just okay. it was very sort of. Touching. I've just kind of caught Cheers in in our retro lineup, so I would watch it occasionally on that. Yep. I'm trying to think what other ones were great. Uh, probably, well... St. Elmo's Fire was really great. What happened in St. Elmo's so, Fire? So, I, I never really watched it, but when I... Um, so, it was... Uh, it ends with a snow globe, and it's all uh, a child's imagination. So, the like the dream, series. almost. Kind of, yeah. I'm trying to think. The one that comes to mind for me as the best one that I can think of, and it may not be because someone will remind me of a different one, is Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, and you know what? I stopped watching Mary Tyler Moore when she moved into the second apartment. It was just kind of like, Mwah. but I, I. But yeah, were they all were they walking me. out of yes. the station yes. all together? Yeah. And that was. Did somebody come back to turn the lights out? She did. She did. Yeah, yes. or she turned yeah. them out. Yeah, they had all left, and she just the door was still open, and she just turned the lights out. Turned the lights out. It's it is I it is I would not want to be a writer for one no. of these huge shows because there's so much pressure. And as I say, Seinfeld almost universally was panned for the ending of that one, which I, I didn't mind. It, it, it was kind of like a highlights clip show almost. Yeah. Even though it wasn't. But it's it would be tough. Like it, the pressure on them to come up with something. Yeah. You know the one I hated? Dexter. Did you watch Dexter? I did watch Dexter. I loved that show. Actually, the whole last season was kind of like, The whole where? last couple seasons. Yeah, were, where are they going with this one? Right. I don't know how many people watched Dexter. I, I did. I so love that show. The first few seasons, the season with John Lithgow. Yes, the Trinity Killer. The Trinity Killer. There were so many great series. Even Tom, Tom Hanks' son, yes. Colin, was a killer for one year. But the last couple of years, and then the final episode. See, the thing that made Dexter, to me, such a great watchable show was, while it wasn't real, it always felt like it could be real. Yes, he, and, and he, he was like, even though he was doing nasty things, he was doing it 
kind of vigilante style, right? He always had a reason. But he always, you always felt like he was just on the precipice of getting caught. And that was the tension that kept yes. you watching the show. And then in the final episode, there's this world's biggest hurricane rolling in. And again, spoiler alert, if you're just watching it. And his sister has died and he walks into the hospital, parks his boat in front of the hospital and then carries her body out, out of the hospital in front, in, of, shroud. in front of everybody. It's like, come on. If I was picking up a body and just carrying them out of the hot, someone's going to stop me. Like the whole thing became just ludicrous. Yes. It's uh, farcical. And then he becomes a lumberjack. Yeah. And, and that he's was okay. another, I, I was watching it and I thought, is something happened with our cable? Because it's like, it was like they switched to another show because all of a sudden it was like, you were in the wilderness. And it's like, how I did guess, we get here? I guess they've set it up for the next series of Dexter when other lumberjacks Thanks. in Oregon start do. getting slaughtered. Yes. The, uh, there's a, there is a uh, survey here, an online survey that was done of the best, all-time best uh, ser- series finales. Number one, MASH. Which was the most watched episode for like how many years? Still. Yeah. Oh, still, is it still? Still. I think only some Super Bowls have been watched. And, and maybe, I think MASH, I'd have to look this up. I, I think I read somewhere that MASH was even more people watching than the moon landing. But I think that's probably got something to do with number of TVs as opposed to percentage of people watching. I think if you were talking percentage, more people watch the moon landing. But uh, number two, we forgot this one, Breaking Bad. Do you remember the end of Breaking Bad? Well, you know what? I barely, Tim and I were talking about this uh, earlier today on Morning Live. I binged watch Breaking Bad. So I kind of went through it so fast. I the ending didn't really have much of a See, I won't even give me. the ending because some people probably are still watching Breaking Bad. So, but it that, is a that, great series, but it was a good ending. It was a good ending. Friends is on the list. I don't remember the ending of Friends. Probably somebody got married and then someone else slept yeah, with someone Ross. and then they had twins and they all went off their ways. I don't yeah, know Yeah, I wasn't really totally happy with that one. Uh, here's one that I never thought about. The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Which, did, did you watch that one? When that, you're too young. Yeah. You're too young to remember that. You're younger than I am, I think. I doubt it. But uh, <laughs> certainly don't look it. Um, no, it is, uh, he, it was very, that was a very touching. He, he'd been on for 30 something I, years. I, like I remember seeing clips of it. Yeah. And I just remember him the at the crime. very end sitting on a stool. Yeah. By himself in by front him, of the curtains. Yeah. In front of the curtains, basically almost breaking down and crying. Uh, some of the other ones they put on here that I don't remember. They, they've got The Office on here. I have no idea what the ending of The Office was. You know what? I don't either. And I like The Office. I love The Office. Do you like The British Office or do you like I the like American both of them. Yeah, yeah, I like no, both of them. Um, Sons of Anarchy. Did you ever watch Sons of Anarchy? We did. And you know what? I couldn't watch it through to the very end because that season, that show was supposed to end after five seasons, I think. The uh, the creator had meant it for five seasons. And there was a natural break at the end of five seasons. I th- and I thought that would have was been the ending. a great ending. And then, you know, more money came along. More money came yes. along. Uh, the Golden Girls. I don't remember watching so it that closely. I just recall that one of them, I think uh, B. Arthur got married on the show and oh. they all, because then remember they did a sequel where everybody but B. Arthur bought a hotel and it was the Golden Girls Hotel. Oh, really? Show. Uh, yeah. And it did not go well. Your wife is a big Golden Girls fan. Uh, she has watched. Yes. <laughs> you were just telling me earlier. You went to see the house in yeah, California. Yeah, we just saw the house. Uh, he, and just before we go, here's one that may have been among the most broken down, discussed, dissected finales of all time because the first episode of this series was so good, it may have been one of the best ever, which was Lost. I never, ever you saw never an watched Lost? Of Lost. The first episode of Lost truly was unbelievable. If you were not completely hooked within an episode or two, you were the last episode. Most people had no idea what had happened. This thing, ha- something happened, and you said, "Okay, I think I may have some clue, but I'm not entirely sure." But is that the show with a polar bear? There was there a polar was, bear and a tropical bear. island. Okay. Yes, and uh, it appears my my interpretation for anyone who cares was that they were all in purgatory. They were all dead. They were in purgatory, and that was what Lost was, and they had to finally graduate. Because every time you would do something to redeem yourself, that character would be killed off, and so they eventually got out. So that was my interpretation, but everyone else had a different one. 
Ah, uh, well, there you go. So, and and if you want, you could probably go online to uh, CHCH Morning Live. I'm sure on CHCH's website, they probably have you guys talking about the same thing this morning. They might. Because you were talking about this. That's where I stole the idea from, but it's a great idea. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. There was another story. We talked about some of the stories that were going on around town this week, but there was another one that it, it never goes away. And I know when people hear these three little letters, they sometimes blanch, but I have to bring it up again because city council was debating again, the LRT this week and not debating it as far as should we do it or should we not do it, but saying, when do we actually get a budget on this thing? Because the problem that the fear that everyone has now is we're promised a billion dollars from the province. I don't think there's a soul. And and do you believe there's a person out there who thinks it's coming in at a billion dollars? I think almost everybody thinks it's going to be over budget. Right. But now with inflation, because that billion dollars was like how many years ago? Right. Right. And what's, what is that in today's dollars? So we don't know if it's modestly, maybe it's 1.2, maybe it's 1.5, maybe it's 1.7. We don't know, but surely it's not unrealistic to say we need to have a budget. And I I talked to two builders, two well-respected builders in the city this week. And I said, please just tell me one thing. Have you ever done a building project for some client where the client said, go ahead and start the build. Here's what we want. Tell me what it's going to cost later. And they said, no, that, that, that would be outrageous. That's, that would never happen. And Lloyd Ferguson today or this week around council said, that's construction 101 to know what your budget is. And that we are now moving to the path where we have spent 150 million already. We're about to spend another 20 million. Next year, we're going to start expropriating properties, perhaps, from people and Isn't kicking them out of their home. No, they haven't done expropriations yet. They said, but that could be happening down the road. They have bought properties from people, right? But not forced them. Oh, that's right. Not force them to. Yeah, that's right. How 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 do we? How do we even move one step further in this until we know what if, the budget is? Or is it really going to happen? Well, and that relies on the budget because I am fully of the opinion that if this thing, if we suddenly find out the budget is $1.6 billion, the city of Hamilton is not going to say, oh yeah, we're good for 600 million. Count us in. I don't see that. Do you see that happening? No. I don't see that at all. And so how do we, how are we continuing down a path when we don't even know if the path is going to lead anywhere except towards spending more money? I don't get it. I really don't get it. And so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking until, and I know the city doesn't have an appetite for what I'm talking about, but until we get a budget, I think we should stop everything. No more construction, no more buying, no more knocking down, no more anything until we know what the budget is. But then, yeah, but then you look at how many plans are in place for this, right? How many plans all along the line, how many companies have come here on the promise that yes, we're going to get an LRT. Agreed. Yeah. But if we don't have a budget and there is a possibility that someone is going to blanch at some point down the road, which I think is possible, why are we doing any more until we know what the budget is? It, it, it seems we're doing this whole thing now backwards. And and if, it, if there comes a point when it's 1.6 or 1.5 or 1.2 billion, I, I mean, I don't know if the city, I mean, does the city have an appetite for 200 million? Right. And would the province say, oh... Well, you know, we'll help you out with that because no, no, I don't see the province doing anymore. Now, could we squeeze some money out of the federal Federal government? government? Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe they want to do environmental stuff. They want to be involved. So maybe you can do that. But again, do we not have to know that? I'm here. Here's for me. and, And this discussion has been going on for a while now, but for me, emotionally and on a personal level, part of what really struck me this week is when it came out that we are going to potentially be expropriating properties next year. How horrible is it if Annette Hom, if you own a home along that way and they say, we have to expropriate your building, your business, your home, your whatever else, we have to expropriate that place and they knock it down and then it turns out we've decided we're not going to build it because we don't have the money. We can't build it. And now you're out, you've been kicked out of your spot and that's legal. And they say, uh, it was for nothing. Now, the city would still own that land. They could do something else with it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, the, it, it has just become so nonsensical to me, this whole thing. And fatiguing. <laughs> fatiguing for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I know you're probably very tired of reading 
LRT. LRT <laughs> yes. stories. I, I, everyone is. Everyone is. And if this thing is going to happen, fine. But who starts a project without a budget? Nobody. Yeah. I, I just came back. We just came back a, a couple of weeks ago. We were in, in France where many of the cities that we went to had light rail transit. And it's it's like every time I saw one and, it, you know, it's running and it, it looks like it's been part of the city forever. And I'm like, how did they get to the point where they built theirs? Was there this? And I always think, was there a big LRT thing here too? Or, or did it just happen? Well, I mean, a lot of those cities have subways or have streetcars already. We were in San Francisco last week yes. and they have a streetcar system. In fact, I am positive. I never, I couldn't get close enough to take a picture, but I'm positive some of the old TTC streetcars are in San Francisco because I saw the one. The shape that, is the same. But I saw yeah. one that I'm sure was a T, it was the same colors, the wine and yellowy or, or like tan. And I'm sure it had TTC on the back. I'm positive it was, and I'd love to know if, if they've been reused, sent down there with the weather better and everything. But but they've had systems forever where they can just add to. See, our challenge is we're starting basically from scratch. Yes. And those who are avid supporters of the LRT say, yes, but you have to start somewhere to get somewhere. But it seems so daunting. That it's taken a long time to start. And how many years and how much money would it take? I mean, let me ask you this. If we had some sort of assurance, I mean, ironclad assurance that the money over the next 25 years, 50 years would be there, that if you build this one, we will every five years as a province give you another billion dollars to do another leg well, that's that very way. high in the sky, isn't I'm it? saying if you had an assurance yeah. like that, would yeah. that, do you think that would change people's minds and make everybody say, sure, I'm on board with that. If this is going to be something that we know is not just going to be a straight line from Eastgate to McMaster. If this thing could stretch up James Street or go up... How could it go up the mountain? In San Francisco, the cable cars do. Yeah, that's true. And it's a very hilly city. And we, I, I was riding a cable car and I thought that exact thing, we could have done this. If we're going to do an LRT, we could have... This may be a way we could have done it. But I go back to the point though. I... I'm looking at this right now and thinking, I don't see how we continue on with this until we know whether we're going to be doing it. And yet they're saying, but we can't continue. We can't find out if we're going to do it until we buy until these we properties. Yes. It's, it's a, it's a chicken and an egg. Anyway, I just, it's, it's, it's getting very frustrating to me. It is because if we get to the point, we've, we, we are almost about to be, I think it's $171 million into this. If we get to the point where we say it's now going to be way more than we expected, we're not going to be able to do this, or we have to shrink it dramatically, whatever, then what, what's it all been about? And you, and you think too about all the money for infrastructure that needs to be done, right? When everything's being dug up, that's when, um, you know, water pipes are going to be replaced. All those lines are going to be replaced and everything like that. What happens to that then? There's all kinds of questions about this, but none of it in my mind. And I, I'm, I'm open to being convinced otherwise. I'm open to having someone explain to me that this makes sense. But in my mind, nothing happens till we have a budget. And, and as I say, Lloyd Ferguson... You can love him or not as a city councillor. You can think he's doing a great job or not. That's what democracy is all about. That's why we have elections. He always wins with like 80%. So a lot of people obviously think he's doing a good job. But as a builder, he's got a long history in construction. That's where he came from. He says, you have a budget first. He said this in council. Construction 101. As I say, I talked to two other builders and they all say you would never, ever do this this way. Nobody would do this. I mean, look, if you're, one of the guys said, okay, if you're asking someone to fix my basement, to finish my basement, and it's a ten or $12,000 thing and you're friends and you know the person, sure, we can shake hands and say, do it. But for a billion dollars, nobody would ever say, mm -hmm. just go ahead. And so many people and so many businesses impacted by it. I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I just, I just hope and pray that when the budget does come in, that it does come in at or below the billion dollars because I can't fathom Annette. I cannot fathom the discussion and the debate and the argument and everything else if it's... If it doesn't. If it's half a billion over or 400 million over or 300 million. I mean, I don't know what the... Councillors have said that they have no appetite for a dime over a billion. I don't believe that. If it's 40 billion or 50 billion over, I 
don't see them backing off. But if it's 100 or 200 or more, there's a bunch of them, especially in the suburbs, that will be destroyed by their constituents if they were to vote for that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. You were on a vacation, you told me, uh, some time ago, just got back from Belgium. Yes. So you should be an expert on this next topic. It's not beer, it's not chocolate, but it is this. There are doctors in Belgium who are saying, who are recommending to the Belgian government that any parents who raise their kids on a vegan diet should be jailed because they are damaging their children because they are denying them proteins and amino acids that would help the children avoid preventable illnesses. Now, we won't necessarily dive specifically into this one because I don't know that you or I are an expert enough on veganism to speak to whether or not they really are denying proteins and amino acids. But what about the idea of how how involved should governments be in parenting? Well, it, this is very interesting. And we hadn't talked. I just kind of casually mentioned that, you know, we we're talking, we we're catching yep. up on our vacation. So, so we were in Bruges for a week at the beginning, like end of last month, beginning of this month. And, and it was an amazing place. And we had gone on a tour and, and we had mentioned to one, to our tour guide that like, there's no graffiti anywhere. It's a UNESCO protected heritage site. The whole city is. And it's it's just lovely. And uh, our tour guide told us that there's no graffiti because if kids are caught tagging, their parents pay. And that it's so, the government is so controlling that way. And, and, and in a good way, because I mean, it, it kind of protects the beauty of, of this one city, but I'm like, whoa, that wouldn't, that wouldn't happen here. Well, wait a second though. If that works and it clearly works oh, by what you're it saying, really works. why are we not doing that here? I, I don't know. And, and they're all like, because we went outside of Bruges, outside in other areas of Belgium where it, you know, they clearly don't have that same law and there's graffiti everywhere, but in Bruges, the, uh, yeah, the municipality, parents are charged. What do you think about that idea? I love that idea. But if it works, and again, I mean, if we've got an example here, it's not a theoretical pie in the sky. It's a practical example. It makes me want, I mean, I don't want to go to the level where, remember that that uh, guy a few years ago in Singapore who spat a piece of gum on the ground and got like a hundred lashes yes, with a rattan yeah. cane? I'm not talking about that. But this, I'd, if you put parent, make parents responsible for their kids in a cert, to a certain degree, I don't know. It yeah. sounds like it may work. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I, we haven't talked to any of the parents who are now bankrupt because they've had to pay government fees to go and erase piles of graffiti. Who knows yeah. how much it would cost? Their kids would never, probably never escape from the house again. But how much? I mean, how far do you go? How far should we go with governments being involved with parenting? Well, I mean, look at the whole anti-vaxxer thing that's going on right now, right? So there's some government involvement getting in now, whereas if if your child is not immunized, then you're not getting into schools. So do it. To now, a degree. that argument, interestingly, seems to have pivoted because now it's not about you looking after your kids or your decision with your kids. It's about your kids are putting other kids it's at, risk. at risk. So it's in the, so Other adults at risk. Other adults. So they've pivoted the discussion so it's not about your parenting, about your kid. It's you're putting the public safety at risk. I don't know that you could make that case with veganism or whatever else, but I don't know. I'm... I'm I lean very hard towards getting government out of being involved mm-hmm. with parenting because not exclusively, but most things governments do, they don't do it as well as Well, it's almost people. like, you know, as you vote in a new government, it's almost like, are you voting in a new set of parents at that point, that would right? be That would be a great point. <laughs> no, that would be. And suddenly, what do you have to change then? You're, it's a great point because what would you have to then change? What law gets changed that now you've been parenting this way and we have to switch it? Uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm always very leery it's not just governments doing something, it's the philosophy behind governments. And so if, you know, you raise your kids a certain way and now your kids are being, now you are told, well, no, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. It's very confusing. It's very complicated. It's very cost prohibitive to be investigating all this stuff all the time. And how do you, with this story, how would you possibly track down the parents who were raising, I mean, I guess kids would admit they're being vegan. No one's hiding it. But yes. 
And, and you wonder, too, about the lobby against because there's lots of agriculture in, in Belgium, right? There's lots of livestock. There's, you know, is there a lobby towards, okay, we can't, you know, we don't want vegan kids. But what happens if someone then comes forward after you pass? Now, I don't think they're ever going to pass a law. I'm not suggesting that this is going to happen in Belgium. But then, okay, veganism is now terrible. You can't have your kids being a vegan because you're being denied nutrients. And then three years from now, like happens with every single food study. Yeah. Coffee's great. Coffee's bad. (laughs) Yeah. You need seven glasses of red wine a day to keep your heart healthy. Don't drink any. (laughs) Half a glass of red wine will kill you. And and we have no idea. But so veganism is now terrible and it's going to cause all the kids to die because they're missing amino acids and proteins. And then a year from now or two years, they go, you know what? That was the best thing you could do. Veganism is the healthiest way to live. Everyone should eat nothing but pure tofu from now until the day they die. Which, if I was eating pure tofu, nothing but from now, it, the day I die would be tomorrow. Um, I, I don't know how you would do this. I, governments, to me, should stay out of parenting as much as is absolutely possible. As much as it's, a- and again, vaccinations, different because you're now putting other people at risk. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I want any government coming in and telling me, you know, there was the case that was in. Alberta. Now, it wasn't a parenting per se. I believe they were foster parents where they were Christians and they said, we don't tell our kids about the Easter bunny. Did you hear this story? Yes. About a year ago? Yes. And the government took took those parents out of the foster care role because they said, no, you're damaging the child by not telling them about the Easter bunny. It's like, see, this is an example of why you say no. Easter bunny's in office. (laughs) <laughs> we don't need the government. Look, if a parent decides they're not going to tell the kid about the Easter bunny, no one's dying. That's their choice. That's their philosophy. That's their belief. We don't need the government getting involved and saying, you must teach them about the Easter bunny or you're horrible people. No, but that's, everybody wants the government to do everything now. That's, that's the problem we've gotten to, I think. Well, I mean, look at even in Canada, we, we've had so much of a, a controversy over the new food guide, right? Yeah. And and I mean, that's not telling people to, it, it's telling people to eat more vegetables. It's suggesting. It's like, suggesting, but you've got both sides saying, oh, this is wrong. This is, yeah. So what happens if the government were to say, you know what, Annette, um, you must follow the Canada Food Guide or you will be jailed. You must feed your kids according to the Canadian Food Guide or you will be jailed. How do they determine that, right? How do they determine that? And again, I go back to my point. And, and you could pack a lunch that you thought was adhering to government standards and then the kid doesn't need it. And some teacher with too much time on her hands or his hands or wanting to get too involved will go, look at that. There's a packaged bit of pepperoni. There's bags of chips. Chips. <gasps> chips. <gasps> <gasps> and as I said, we know with every single food study or health study or any kind of other study, that wait five minutes and some other study is going to come out. There's a McMaster study. We had them on some time ago and it was about exercise and how you don't need to exercise for a long time now. Oh, that's the HIT uh, practice. Very, very short bursts of really high intensity stuff. And, and I can't remember his name and I apologize. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it in a moment. But a doctor from McMaster who yes. was behind that was on here. Well, look, I believe that his science is good. I have no reason to doubt I, him. I practice his science every week. But I bet you that in a very short period of time, someone else is going to come out with some study, whether it's legit or not, that will say, no, you need to be doing two hours of steady work a day to get the same effects. Uh, And who do we believe then? But we want the government to come in and enforce one of them until they change, as you say, a new government comes in and then says, no, we're going to do it a different way. (laughs) Meat and potatoes for everyone. Exactly. I hope good luck to those in Belgium if they ever fall through. And it, w- Belgium, I can't, I'm trying to think of what kind of government Belgium has right now. Do you know if they have a, is it a government that's going to be like a nanny state government that may actually listen to know. this? I don't know I what don't kind know. of, I, I'd have to look and see if. Um, yeah, I don't know if they have like a prime minister or. We, well, I'm just wondering if it's left wing, right wing, really left, really right. I don't know. Uh, here's, uh, we must explain to the parents, I should say this with a Belgian accent, although I'm not really sure, before compelling them, but we can no that, longer that, that's tolerate. That's a German accent. Oh, sorry, okay. <laughs> but we can no longer tolerate this endangerment, said Professor Georges Casimir, who led the commission that led to the report. 
It's uh, non-assistance to a person in danger, which is a crime that carries a sentence of up to two years in jail and also fines, is what they are saying. We are talking here about stunted growth and psychometer delays and undernutrition, significant anemia. Wow. I mean, I know a few vegans, and I don't think they're anemic. Maybe. I don't think so. They're hiding it well if they are. They look reasonably healthy, thin, a lot of them, but they're not complaining. Not falling down in front of me, passing out from malnutrition. Maybe at home, maybe at two thirty in the morning when they get up for work, <laughs> head rush. Boom. Just glad they're not banning the Belgian chocolate or beer. Yeah. Oh yes. See that that I could see. Oh, we have to put a ban on that. No one can drink more than four beers a day or something, or ten pounds I don't of think chocolate. That would fly in Belgium. Probably or cheese. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Annette, the Canadian government, along with a bunch of other governments, are at this conference, the Christchurch Summit. Is that what they're calling it? Christchurch Summit, I think? In Paris, yes. In Paris. It's got to do with the Christchurch shooting at the mosque, It's uh, which largely to do with the fact that the the shooter recorded himself and streamed it while it was happening. Live streamed it while it was happening, which was horrifying, no question. Uh, I mean, the, the shooting was more horrifying, but the fact that he was doing it as an attention grabber was also part of it. Well, the Canadian government has now said, as of yesterday, that Canada is going to be introducing a new digital charter, which is a benign kind of sounding name, may even sound like a really good name, but it's going to be a government outline, a framework that will define what is hate speech and what is not acceptable online so that we are going to take control over the kind of stuff that is online. And if it's something that is deemed to be hate speech, they are going to be able, I guess, to arrest you or fine you or shut it down or close the website or I, it's unclear. And, and it's not just me that's unclear. Prime Minister Trudeau has said we haven't yet figured out exactly what it's going to be, but we're going to do something. Well, because the internet is like the wild, wild west right now, right? It's, it is. I, I wonder if this is going to be kind of like, a, because in, in radio and television, um, you, can't, you can't broadcast whatever you want. Right. So I wonder if it's kind of like a, a CRTC type umbrella or, or type organization that would would lay out rules like we have broadcast standards. Maybe it would be online standards. And it's unclear on here if this is entirely only the Internet or if it will include all forms of TV and radio and everything else. I mean, digital could be radio online. Who knows what? Am I way out of line, though, by thinking while what happened in New Zealand was horrible? There's no question. No one's suggesting otherwise. This can be one of those things that leads to a terrible, terrible overreaction because we just talked about governments. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be dumping on governments all the time. But as soon as you have a government that decides what it determines is hate speech, because hate speech is one of those things that is so difficult to define, except in absolute extreme cases. If I say to someone, you know what, I would like you to go to Annette Holmes' house. Here's her address and I want you to kill her. Pretty clear. That's, that's a pretty clear... Please don't. No, no. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> would Scott. ever do that. But that would be a pretty clear thing. But there's a lot of things that you and I may have differences philosophically, religious differences, differences of opinion on different things that someone may say, you can't say that, that's hateful. And who's determining then what the hateful... Well, I wonder if, if there would be like a code of, sta- of standards, a conduct of standards. But how could you? Be- yeah. and, and oh, But we do it in broadcast. We do it in broadcast, but it's still somewhat flexible. Mm-hmm. It's because uh, there are there are words that you are not supposed to say, but I don't even know if those words is not. It's like like George Carlin once upon a time. Yeah, the seven. <laughs> but I don't even know if those words still exist because I see people all the time if they are quoting someone directly now from a report or whatever. Yes. You can say words now that ten it's years ago you bit, would yeah. never have been able to say. But you just said in the last segment, and I think you were bang on. But what happens when a new government is elected? So, yeah, but lib- I think this would be an arm's length thing because the CRTC doesn't change when the, when it, when we get a new government. I just I, I think this is something that's needed because there's a lot of hate out there. There is uh, no question. There is. I simply worry about trusting that 
the choice of what is determined to be hate is not based on political views. That's my that's my thought on this. That it, you know that what I think is hateful you may not think is hateful. What you think is hateful may not be what I mm-hmm. think is hateful. So which of us is right? And whose version of hatred is the one that's going to be stopped? Or if it's both of ours, are we not then basically getting to the point where we're saying no one can say anything because someone's going to find everything hateful? But do you want to get to a point where we can have live streaming of what happened in New Zealand? N- no. So there's got to be a line drawn. There has to be a lot. Well, there has to be something done. There has to be something done. I'm not sure what that is. Like I was, the thing that I was not clear on with the New Zealand thing, which is fair to say about the worst case scenario. I mean, I really think that it doesn't happen very often. It's mm-hmm. like that there was a, a shooting on TV of a, of a newswoman in Virginia Beach or oh, something yes, a few yes, years ago where yes. it happened on the morning show. Yes. She was doing like a live remote kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay, these are the worst case scenarios. And in those in those situations, I don't understand how someone at head office doesn't say, cut the feed. This guy was on YouTube. I don't think it was YouTube. I don't know what he was on, but he was on something live for... And there's so many streaming flat platforms that, you know, a younger generation, you and I are like... What is that, right? But surely somebody... Somebody had been watching. Had and, been and, watching and, and could had, have... I forget how many hundreds of, of viewers were watching it stream live. And now now they're worried that, you know, all of these, um, anybody who had it might have somehow digitally recorded it. And Which now probably it's, happened. It's, it's floating out there all over the place and people are watching. And so what you're doing is first of all putting in a digital charter is not going to stop what you just described because if it's recorded it's already going to be mm-hmm. out there and can be sent around somehow but surely there's someone at these places that has the look not to bring up an embarrassing issue and it's not meant to do that but every every TV station has had a moment where someone has hit a wrong button oh yeah you guys had one yep. a few years ago yes. where a wrong button was hit and some inappropriate for daytime viewing stuff was put on for the For nighttime. <laughs> inappropriate for pretty much any I remember time. seeing it in our office. Yes. But within, how long did it take? A minute? And someone said, yee, let's it turn this thing off. like time stood still. I bet. Day. Yeah. But it was but, not very long. No. And, but someone was like, no, stop it. Change the, ch- turn it off, whatever else. How, that seems to be the answer. As opposed to saying we are anything that could potentially maybe be considered difficult or hateful or whatever else, we have to ban that. That the banning part is what really concerns me here, because yeah. it becomes a it becomes an opinion or a, a, a position that may not be agreed by everybody or but, most everyone. Okay, I, I look at um, what can be allowed online uh, to be construed as child pornography. There are clear definitions yes. as to what child pornography is. That's why can't we do that with hate? Because well, for t- I think for two reasons. One is because child pornography you have. I don't know what the exact definition of child pornography is, but it would involve a child. It's pretty clear. Anyone? I think it's un- is it under sixteen? Or 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 it, I think if I've heard this correctly before, or someone pretending to be. Like if you're trying to p- pass yourself to off, to, yes. that's so, but that's a pretty clear, there's, there's not a lot of wiggle room in there. Whereas if you're talking about hate speech, you yeah, start getting into political there sides. there's a lot of w- wiggle room in hate speech. You don't? No. Because I think that what you get is a slippery slope. Because again, what you say is, so one of the big debates that's been going on this week is about abortion, mm-hmm. especially down in the States. Yes. So you and I now get into a discussion about this and you say, what happened down there is horrible. And I say, I agree with what happened down there. And we go back and forth and now you and I are not going to do this, but someone says, well, what you just said is hateful. So is that hateful? And which one of us is hateful? I say, if if we were taking these two positions, you say, I'm hateful because I'm misogynist because I'm against women. And I say, but you're hateful because you're okay with babies being killed. Who's the one who's hateful? And how do you then, who's the one who's going to determine which side of this discussion, if anyone, is hateful? That's the problem I get into with these things because there are, as you described, very clear cut cases, right? Where no one is arguing Mm -hmm that that is inappropriate. But there's others what I'm, that get me worried that say, 
some bureaucrat is going to be deciding in this discuss this fictional discussion we're having is going to be deciding which one of us is hateful. How do I know who that person is? I would hope that it's not bureaucrats that are going to be deciding this. That it would be a panel of experts. But then how? But who are the experts? But, but yeah. Which government has has appointed the experts? Because again, if it's a liberal government, probably they're going to be appointing people who have a philosophical or political view that's similar to theirs. If it's a conservative government, same thing on the other side. If it's an NDP government, maybe more. So how do you make sure that what you're getting with this is weeding out the truly hateful, the truly egregious, and not turning this into an ability to shut down dissenting opinion under the guise or of, well, oh, that's hateful. my feelings are hurt, that's hateful. Yes. Exactly. And we know that's happening now. We, and that you and I both know, and everyone listening knows that in 2019, anything that you say or that I say or that anyone says that is slightly controversial, someone will say that's hateful or I'm offended by that. So how do you make sure that this stays as a firewall against the truly horrendous and doesn't start to trickle down and become a way to stop dissenting views or unpopular views. Well, do they look at specific hate crimes, perhaps? Maybe that's a guideline. Could be. We do have hate crime legislation. Could be. We have people of all different religious groups and political stripes who would say, this religion's views are hateful. Yes. This religion's views are hateful. That's get started. But it's also now, so do you say then in this country that because we think that some of your views are disagreeable to me or to you, that we must ban all of your views. This is the slippery slope I'm talking about, where you start getting into something and says, how are we possibly going to turn this, what may be a good idea in theory, from becoming a weapon? It's supposed to stop weaponizing. I see it as a if we're not really careful, and I don't know how you'd be careful, into becoming weaponized. And then what does it become? I mean, I, I, it is, it, I like the idea sort of, I like the idea as you've said, and you've laid out the positions well, that there is stuff on the internet nobody wants out there, but there's also the dark web. I don't even, have you ever? I've never seen it. <laughs> I, I don't even I don't even know it really exists. I keep hearing about the dark web. I'm sure it does. I'm sure there are people in their basements who know how to get to this dark web. It seems to me to be a fictional part of a Matrix movie or something, but apparently it's out there and there's all kinds of stuff and I don't know, do you type dark web into your Google search? I don't. It, or well, if no, you're going not, to, you have to tell the IP people, IT people here. You know, <laughs> it's a fun, it's, see, here's a funny story. I was talking to, before the show today, I was talking to Anthony Urcioli, who's in the newsroom. And there is a very funny 17-minute short film that was done by a a guy who used to be on Saturday Night Live, whose name, of course, is just eluding me right now. He was on way back. And it's a really dark comedy, but it's really, really funny. And the whole point of the short film that he made is he's a guy in his office who someone sends a really inappropriate email to. Unwittingly, he opens it up in the office, which leads to him being fired, which leads to this series of horrible events. I don't even think I can say the name of this movie on the air. I'm not going to. I'm not going to take the chance. It's ironic because it's not really about what the title says. The title refers to the email that he got. Okay. But if he had typed in that title, if I had said, oh, you should look this up at the office... There's probably a red flashing light going on in the IT department somewhere. Yes. You're looking up what? <laughs> Can't you do that? And and again, this you say okay, now that word might fall into hate. I mean, I'm, I don't know. I I like the idea of us trying to do something to control the internet. I just don't know that we can. That's why we're hosts and not legislators. Rather than try to control things all the time and stop things is simply say, we know there's always going to be bad stuff that happens in the world. We simply have to make it socially unacceptable. We made drunk driving socially unacceptable. We've made smoking socially unacceptable. We've made a lot of things socially unacceptable. Rather than asking our governments to ban something or to create something that could be misused or could lead us down a weird path, that we just say... Yeah, but governments helped to make smoking and drunk driving socially unacceptable. They did. Laws, right? They did. They did. 
a tough one. I, I, I Maybe we need to all work together, Scott. Hold hands and go to the top of a hill and <laughs> sing, I'd like to teach the world to sing and then drink a Coke. <laughs> oh, that reminds me of another great series ending. Mad Men. Mad Men. Oh, it's That's all come true. full circle. It's all come full circle. <laughs> that was a good ending, although confusing at I, first. I had to watch it a second time. I liked it. It I was good. It I had to watch it a second time. And, and then I was like, okay. Because he suddenly, again, not to give too much away, but this he found Madison himself. Avenue bigwig became kind of a hippy dippy at the yeah. end. And yeah, it was very- Don um, Draper found himself. He found something. <laughs> I don't know what he was on when that happened, <laughs> yeah. but he found something. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.